Production support for Earth Eats comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. This week on our show, in honor of WFIU's 70th anniversary, we're bringing you a few stories from the archives. You'll hear Annie Corrigan, Earth Eats founder and longtime host, interviewing Lynn Swartzberg of One World Catering. She joins Mary Shakespeare in her kitchen to bake scones, and she takes a tour with Candace Minster of the White Violet Center for Ecojustice to learn about raising food and alpacas. And we have a current story from Harvest Public Media, the first in their series on food insecurity exacerbated by the pandemic. And we have a big announcement at the end of our show, so stay with us. The number of families struggling to afford food has skyrocketed since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. Overall, rates of food insecurity have more than doubled in the last six months, and certain groups have been hit harder. Black and Hispanic families are about twice as likely to struggle as white families. Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin paid a visit to one Illinois family to see how they're getting by. Everything the Pleasure family cooks and eats revolves around their garden. We have gotten a lot of tomatoes from this one. Ten-year-old Joshua has been gardening since he was little. Right now, they're transitioning the community garden plot to fall, harvesting tomatoes and planting squash seedlings. Oh, I'm cooking literally every day with something that I've grown. Every day. Um, which I absolutely love because it saves trips to the grocery store. Joshua's mom, Janelle Pleasure, says food has always been central to her family. One of their favorite activities is to spin a globe, put a finger down, and cook a dish from that country. But they haven't done that since the start of the pandemic, when Pleasure says things got hard. There's not a belt to tighten. There, there's no wiggle room here. I have, you know, I'm unemployed and there are limited things that I can do. She became a single mom of three kids when her husband left two years ago. Without his stream of income, it became difficult to afford the basics, including food. Then came the pandemic. She lost her job almost immediately, and when her kids' schools shut down, it meant no more school meals. She is, however, receiving $125 per month through an expanded food stamps program. I I spend literally 125 I can spend in like a week because my kids eat like grown men, like a football team. I don't know where they put it. Pleasure doesn't waste anything. Her kitchen counter is lined with jars of pickled vegetables from the garden, and her freezer is stacked with leftovers. 
A self-described coupon queen, she shows off her pantry, where she stockpiles food she finds on sale. They're organic, made with fruit juice, and they're like fruit pops, but these are normally, what did she say, $6.59, and I got them for a dollar. I was like, I'm going to take 40 of those. Thank you. And yet, sometimes it's not enough. That's when she pays a visit to the local food pantry, where her kids used to volunteer. When we actually had to be participants in it, um, I think maybe there was a little bit of confusion for them. Like, I, I, won't, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but it maybe was a little shameful. Like, why are we here? Why do we have to do this? So I stopped bringing them because looking at that and looking at them, it made me feel like less of a parent. Pleasure is far from alone in the struggle to afford food. Food insecurity rates have spiked really dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic. Diane Schanzenbach directs the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University and has long studied the issue. She says food insecurity rates for families with children have tripled during the pandemic. And it's quite disparate across different groups. So the rates of food insecurity are higher for Black and Latino families. By higher, she means much higher. Black families like the Pleasures report rates of food insecurity twice that of white families. And the pandemic has only made things harder. As unemployment shot up, so did prices at the grocery store. Schanzenbach says Congress can help families like the Pleasures by increasing food stamp benefits. Janelle Pleasure says she's grateful for the help she has received. That took like a huge weight off my shoulders because now I just have to worry about will the power be on, you know, as opposed to power or food. I'd rather my kids eat than have lights. Like, you know, we can get candles. Not a big deal. Even if it was in the dark, she says she's always been able to put some kind of food on the table. I'm Dana Cronin, Harvest Public Media. That story is part of a series from Harvest Public Media, taking a deeper look at how food insecurity in the U.S. has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Listen for more in their series in the coming weeks. And next, we have a story from our archives with Annie Corrigan, longtime host and founder of Earth Eats. There's a special place in West Central Indiana at which we'll spend much of today's show. It's the White Violet Center for Eco Justice at St. Mary of the Woods. They grow food using organic practices, they are an educational facility for new growers, they have alpacas, and they've been doing this since the mid 1990s. The entire St. Mary of the Woods campus is about 1,200 acres, but the garden is only about five acres. Trust me, they do use it to its full potential. You could think of this like preschool. So the greenhouse is 
the uh, nursery school, I suppose you could say. And then preschool is where they go before they're ready to, to head out into the big world of the, of the field. That's so Candace Minster, the garden manager and fiber projects coordinator for White Violet Center. She's also a new mom, which is maybe the root of that analogy. She's showing me around the cold frame. They also have a greenhouse and a passive solar high tunnel, all of which let them do four-season growing. Minster went to school at Indiana University, making her own major in ecology and religion. Her interest in food justice naturally grew out of that. I just want to grow food for people. I I mean, uh, something that just fills a very deep um, need that I, I have. So I would be doing this anyway. So it's, it's great that I have people to do it for. <laughs> The gardens provide food for the two kitchens on the St. Mary of the Woods campus. Last year, they donated 3% of their harvest to area food banks, and they also have a CSA program, which they hope will top 100 shareholders this year. There are six interns working at the White Violet Center, two of whom are inside washing the first harvest of the gourmet lettuce mix. This is the spinner. I'm not sure if it has a technical name, but for me, it's the spinner. It's and the chef master. <laughs> chef master. It does have a technical name. I feel so bad for it now. Um, and it's just going to spin the water that has been collecting. We shake it, give a good spin, so it'll get all, all the excess water off of it. It's going to make a lot of noise, it. and it's fun. Dry, happy lettuce. <laughs> that was Tara Elmore an intern at the White Violet Center. And since this story is from 2017, the Terre Haute Farmers Market may not be happening today. You can find updated information about the White Violet Center at eartheats.org. These archive stories from Annie Corrigan are in celebration of WFIU's 70th anniversary. And we're in our fall fun drive this week and we hope to reach a total of 1,950 sustaining members in honor of WFIU's founding year of 1950. If you can contribute to our goal, go to wfiu.org donate to make your pledge in support of WFIU and Earth Eats. Thank you. We'll return to Annie's tour of the White Violet Center in the second half of our show and more from the Earth Eats archive. Coming up, Baker, Marie Shakespeare. All right, scones. What is a scone? It's a sweet biscuit, I guess. Sweet biscuit? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a breakfast. You've had scones. I know, but I can never really, like, I guess they're, they're triangular or square. They tend to be crunchier and maybe... More they brittle? They should be flaky. They should be flaky. I've never had a flaky You scone. have not had a flaky scone? Teach me. All right. 
Production support comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. So I told you that we're baking scones today with Marie Shakespeare. Come into her kitchen with me. She's a part-time baker at One World Catering, a job she's worked for only a couple years. She came to the professional food world later in life and because she thought it'd be fun. Now, as Marie puts it, she's part of a team of ladies of a certain age who do a lot of the baking at One World. But okay, let's start with these scones. We are in my kitchen in the south side of Bloomington. Where it all started. That's where it all started, oh sure, yes. Okay, what are we doing today? We are going to make apricot almond scones. I'm also a lighting designer and I teach lighting at IU and my students are forever misspelling sconce as a scone. So on the last day of class this year, I brought them these scones and said, these are scones. <laughs> they're not, they don't light up, they're delicious. And so <laughs> that is what we're gonna do. Okay. Okay. So there is a filling part to the scones that have apricots, honey, lemon peel, lemon juice, and water. And that needs to cook a little bit and then it needs to cool before we mix it into the dough because scone dough has cold butter in it. So I've learned from doing this wrong a number of times <laughs> to make it chill it, cool it, get it to a nice happy temperature with the other ingredients. So we do that first. Okay, I have everything in there now. It just kind of sizzles away for 10 minutes or so. Then she puts this mixture in the fridge to cool it down. She sifted the dry ingredients together. I am now involving the wet ingredients with the dry ingredients with my gloved hands, trying to get things evenly moistened. And it's crumbly, it's a crumbly dough, but when I knead it a little bit, it'll come together. But it shouldn't be too uniform because you don't want to overwork the dough or it'll become tough. You can see the little pebbles of butter throughout. Then she rolls the dough out into thick disks and uses a straight edge to cut them into sixths. Now, don't saw at the dough or twist your cutter. When you cut it, you have to go straight down. Like little sconelets. Yeah, baby scones. What we're looking for is scones that rise nicely, they don't tip over, and you can see the layers. They have some of the lovely characteristics of a croissant without the incredible time and pain of making croissants. <laughs> I made them a couple times and that's when Lynn said, oh, you can make a croissant, you, you could work for me. I'm like, okay. 
My name is Lynn Schwartzberg. I'm the general manager of One World Catering. Lynn also started as a home baker. She was running a small business out of her kitchen called Bakery Girl. And I wasn't sure I was ready to have a full-time life doing it. And I was going to use some space here. And Jeff said, oh, we'll never use all this space. That's Jeff Meese, co-founder and CEO of One World Catering. He allowed her to use space in their professional kitchen. So he brought me over and, you know, the kitchen was quiet and the walk-ins had all this space in them. And I thought, oh, that could be interesting. And then I decided I hated my job. So I sent an email out to a very small group of people that knew me in various ways. And I was very honest. And I said, this is my skill set. If you ever think of anything that you could use me for, I'm looking to change my life. And I got an email from Jeff, and he said, why don't we go have breakfast? That was five and a half years ago. Lynn started out working 20 hours a week, mostly baking for One World. As the business grew, so did her responsibilities. She realized she needed help with all that baking. And that's where her friend Marie Shakespeare comes in. Marie has always worked lots of little jobs, from teaching lighting design classes at Indiana University to teaching yoga. She always tries to work a toy job, she calls it. She makes a little money doing it, but it's more about the fun than anything else. Well, a couple of years ago, her toy job just wasn't cutting it anymore. And then, I don't know, just, just things always change and shift. And there was one day that I said to myself, you know, I wonder if I'm really still having fun here. I think I'll write down every shift I work, kind of on a scale of one to 10 about how much fun I'm having. And that lasted like two shifts. And I went, I'm not having fun anymore. That's just wrong. So I quit. And then Lynn said, I really do need help in the kitchen. You want to come and cook? You want to come and try it? It'd be fun. So she came over and started baking. And she's particularly skilled at scones, um, coffee cakes. She's kind of a breakfast baker, muffins. And she was terrifically helpful. I strive to work 12 hours minimum a week. And my goal is to make enough money to pay my health insurance premiums. I have lots of other little jobs here and there, but this is my toy job. It's really funny because um, we live in a community where it's full of academics and it's full of professionals. And being a regular worker is not exactly idolized. And we have all experienced some of that feedback. Oh, you know, such a lowly job. You do what? Oh. And we find it to be really gratifying. So we've had, you know, there's a whole class struggle that we've experienced, which is really weird. <laughs> OK, there's the music. Oh, and I smell them. All right, Nina. Oh yeah, oh yeah, those are done. They're so much taller than the dough that you put in. Because the, that's the cold butter. That's the cold, cold butter? butter? The cold butter releases steam as it heats and does magic. Oh, these were good. I became a scone believer that day. The recipe is just as easy as can be, and it's on the website right now. Maria's right, baking is magical. 
Check out the recipes and the photos of our day together at eartheats.org. That was Annie Corrigan, longtime host and founder of Earth Eats. Many things have changed at One World Catering since this story aired in 2017, including their location. Marie Shakespeare is no longer baking scones with One World, but Lynn Schwartzberg is the general manager. Find more at eartheats.org. Welcome back to Earth Eats. I'm Annie Corrigan. Just be careful where you step. The row covers can uh, get caught up on your feet. Candace Minster is showing me around the five acres of gardens at the White Violet Center for Eco Justice. The floating row cover is protecting the crops from insects and excess light. It also helps to cool down the crops during the hot days. We're inside one of their Gothic style high tunnels, which is 15 feet tall at its peak. It seems excessively high for things like lettuce that grow low, but in the height of the summertime, it helps to uh, pass some of the heat out of here and get it away from close to the plants. And then the sides also roll up. And so in the height of the summer, when it's pretty toasty, then we will have the sides rolled up, the big bay doors are both open, and we want as much airflow in here as we can get. There can be as much as a 20 degree difference from outside to inside this high tunnel. I visited Minster and her gardening crew in early May, so spring crops like greens and carrots were at their peak. So let's just peer on inside. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about 10 rows of greens that are looking really healthy. Yes, so um, right now, everything that's in here was planted anew in the early, or excuse me, uh, late part of the winter. See these gorgeous carrots over there in that bin. Those must be so sweet and delicious. Yes, they're really nice. Carrots uh, this time of year tend to be pretty brittle, um, and which means they have a really nice crunchy texture. They're not they're not woody. They're they Br- brittle is a good thing. Absolutely, yeah. It makes it tricky for harvesting, but it is a good thing. <laughs> you, then you can get some snacks as you're harvesting. That's though. right. That's right. Yeah, I. I joke around that we usually eat the dregs, you know, the broken carrots and things like that. They're so good, but they're just not pretty enough to sell. The two women harvesting crops today didn't do any snacking while I was there, but they did admit there is plenty of taste testing that goes on. They're armed with pairs of scissors, snipping outer leaves of the Russian kale plants. This is work made for young knees. Yeah, it's good when you're like squatted down, you stand up. You squat and you stand. (laughs) And Testa works in the gardens, which is a very different scene from her former jobs. Uh, I worked in Chicago. I was a sous chef at Cafe Absinthe in Wicker Park. And I was a sous chef at Pastiche up in Uptown in Chicago. You can't imagine the noise and the stress of a professional kitchen when you're in this high tunnel. 
It's so calm, you don't even hear street noise. There's just the rush of the wind and the occasional snip of the scissors. Testa has now worked on two ends of the food chain, the cooking, now the growing. She prefers what she's doing now. It's the product. You don't, it's like very pure. You don't add anything to it, and it's just delicious as it is, which I kind of, the older I get, the more simple I want things. Yeah, actually, those two gray boys like to fight. They're brothers. Ooh, oh, and there they go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to watch an alpaca fight because they mostly just wrestle with their necks. If you've never seen an alpaca, they are all neck and all legs with tiny, tiny, tiny little bodies. <laughs> yes. They're, uh, a lot of people confuse them with llamas, uh, but they're in the same family. They're camelids. Back again at the White Violet Center with Candace Minster. <laughs> That's the sound they make. That's Theo and Apollo making all the ruckus. There are about 40 alpacas at the White Violet Center, separated in various pastures throughout the grounds. They're raised for sales, breeding, and fiber production, and their manure is vital to the agricultural program. We made our way into a pasture with the two troublemakers and a very curious alpaca named Madison. So Madison, you'll want to watch him um, because he likes to... Uh, jump on your back. <laughs> jump on my back? Okay. Potentially. <laughs> Just don't turn your back on him and you're fine. Having the alpacas makes the White Violet Center a good model of sustainability, according to Minster. Most organic farmers live and die by compost and manures, and so uh, you can purchase that from off-farm or you can make your own. The alpacas produce plenty of manure for Minster and her team to use on the crops. When Sister Anne Sullivan was forming her vision of the White Violet Center, she wanted to incorporate animals that wouldn't be slaughtered for food. Having grown up on a farm herself, Sullivan wasn't fond of sheep. Alpacas seemed to fit the bill. So in 1998, they accepted a donation of their first six animals. So you didn't necessarily need a lot of them. You could get started with just a just a few. They're pretty easy on the pasture because they have a soft foot. They don't tear up the, the ground. They do produce an income for us through their fiber. They are... Uh... <laughs> they just won't stop. We're doing a radio interview. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is just like kids. They're doing hot laps around the pen here. They are. No alpacas were harmed in the taping of this interview with Candace Minster at the White Violet Center. What a magical place. What a magical place indeed. That was Annie Corrigan at the White Violet Center for Eco-Justice in Terre Haute back in 2017. Part of our archival episode in honor of WFIU's 70th anniversary. Find updates about the White Violet Center at eartheats.org. And now, for our big announcement. Starting next week, we'll be expanding the show to a full hour. That's right, beginning October 3rd, hear Earth Eats Saturday mornings at 7 and Sunday afternoons at 1, following the TED Radio Hour on WFIU. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for tuning in. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, 
Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Annie Corrigan, Lynn Schwartzberg, Marie Shakespeare, Candace Minster, Ann Testa, and Tara Elmore. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com. Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And now for our big announcement. Starting next week, we'll be expanding the show to a full hour. Check your local station listings to find out when Earth Eats will air. You can always find episodes at eartheats.org or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast service. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in.